So welcome back to Bugbear Helmet, the adventures of a bunch of not terribly bright adventurers that are trying to do something good, but mostly they want to buy an island and buy a castle. Well, some of them just want to buy it. Others don't have any trouble with trying to conquer or annex uh, a castle from somebody else. So, let's let's talk about where where we've been. Last time we played, the party was still in Capbrook after being directed by a God-given nudge from Heronius to Cecil the Paladin. And they had tracked down a potential demonic ally, uh, a fellow by the name of Poe, out in the woods. But they decided they weren't going to kill him out there because they wanted to pump him for information first before they killed him. So the, so when they ran into him, they said, hey, we're working with uh, one of your old apprentices, Aaron. Um, you know, if you're going to be heading out of town, let's have a drink with her before you go. And he said, okay, strangers, I've never, I've never met before and barely know. Sure, that sounds nice. So they all go back to the tavern, and they wait around for Poe to show up so they can grill him for their, whatever information they can. Now, while they're there, uh, you know, waiting for, you know, the day to pass for Poe to show up in the evening, they meet a young sorcerer by the name of Ty, who's kind of looking for a change of pace in his life. He's pretty young, he's about 14 years old, and by coincidence, he was raised by a gold dragon. So he gets extra damage on his fire spells, which is great for the party because they love doing extra damage. Now, of course, for uh, you know, for this young lad to join the uh, the adventure, uh, Cecil asks him a very, very important question, and that is. What does he want them to do with his body should he die in the course of their adventuring, since they've already lost two two members of their party so far to death, maiming, and murder. And Ty doesn't really have any preference on him, and, you know, of course that makes Cecil and Moonstar super happy, and Cecil immediately writes down on his death list that that Ty is totally okay with having his body stuffed uh, by, by Aaron the taxidermist. He's a, little, he's a little suspicious about their excitement level with this, but he doesn't say anything yet because he's a bit of a clever kid, and he's going to try to figure out what's going on here. Now, as that happens, uh, that's when Gesh comes downstairs. He's finally gotten his uh, beauty sleep from his afternoon nap. He introduces himself to Ty and instantly takes a liking to him because, well, Ty was raised by a dragon, and Gesh is a dragonborn, and Gesh is racist like that. Aaron the taxidermist comes in, and Gesh, you know, of course, uh, hits on her immediately. She <laughs> is not into it at all, and but, you know, Gesh is definitely not one to... to let's just say that he's very persistent. That, that'll be the nice term that we use. Now, as the conversation goes on, Ty kind of gets clued into what Aaron does and why she's employed by the party. And while and once he figures that out, he casts magic hand and rewrites uh, the will on Cecil's death list, so that his body will be cremated within 24 hours of being killed, rather than stuffed by taxidermists to be put on display in the eventual island castle, Great Hall place. Uh, now some of the people in the party are a little curious about how how Aaron's work has been going, so she had so they head over to the stables to take a look at at, at her work. And Dane, actually, Dane Iron Fist, the dwarf, he's actually looking pretty good. Aaron's cleaned him up a lot. You know, he's looking pretty good. Uh, Vachette, of course, is still very much a work in progress. I mean, she's only been dead for 
a day or so. But she's looking pretty good, all things considered. Uh, they, they head back to to the tavern, and you know, as t time passes, uh, Poe does eventually show up. And when Moonstar and Cecil spot Poe walking through the door, they suddenly have the real realization that they have absolutely no plan for interrogating him, or what information they actually want to get out of him. <laughs> These guys are not the brightest jewels in the shed by any means. And, of course, they completely fail to come up with a plan or figure out anything by the time Poke uh, gets, over, gets over to them. Uh, Cal, Cal, the giant who doesn't know that he's a giant, excuses himself, you know, says he'll leave all the fancy-talking stuff to Moonstar and Cecil, since they are the senior members of the party at this point. And Poe decides to buy everyone a round of drinks, and they set out to enjoy the evening. Uh, you know, because Aaron's come in now, you know, they're all just hanging out, having a good time in the crowded tavern. Now, it turns out that when Aaron was an apprentice, she was all about creating, you know, hybrid stuffed animals, you know, just kind of you know, putting different species together and combining them for really mm, unique, we'll, we'll go with unique combinations here. I'm not saying this is the stuff of nightmares, but for some people it would be. For some. And, you know, they mostly kind of talk about just general things, just hearing stories about Aaron and Poe and all that. And eventually Cecil realizes, hey, we're not actually getting anywhere here. We should probably steer the conversation towards, you know, cultists and all that. And he kind of keeps it vague. He alludes to some demonic things, rumors they've heard on the road, you know, bad things happening in other cities. And Poe, you know, Poe, he really, you know, uh... How to describe him? Uh, he takes on a very serious, dark look on his face and asks us so they can talk some more with you know a bit more privacy. So they take him upstairs to one of their rooms, and Cecil, Moonstar, and Ty uh, go up there with him, and everybody else stays downstairs. And Pogue explains that when he was a young man, about 15 years old, he'd fallen madly in love with uh, you know the girl next door, and a traveler offered him a love potion. And in return, was all he wanted was Poe's name at the bottom of a piece of parchment. Uh, and as you can probably guess at this point, it was not a good thing that he signed it. Turns out the traveler was a demon, and the parchment was for his infernal soul. Not eternal, infernal. I'm not sure what the difference is, but I assume there is one. So after he makes a deal, the traveler, the demon demonic traveler, hands over the love potion, which, which works. Poe got the girl, they lived happily ever after, and that lasted for about seven years before she was killed in a horse-riding accident. Uh, but, since a contract is a contract, Poe is still obliged to do whatever the Traveler asks him to do. And he's found no way to get out of the contract. As far as he knows, it's practically impossible. Uh, the demon doesn't overtax Poe. You know, it's not like he has Poe going out and murdering people, you know, by night or anything like that. Uh, mostly, he has him smuggle things in or out of out of uh, Catbrook, uh, usually it's some usually it's uh, something, but actually more often than not it's someone. Uh, usually it's sm they're smuggled under the skins of a shipment. And he says, you know, sometimes it happens multiple times a week, and sometimes it go he goes months without hearing anything. And he says that the the demon calls himself the the Crimson Wanderer, but strongly suspect that that's not his actual name. It's just the name that he goes by. So Poe, he finally asks, 
you know, the, the group why they're there. And Cecil explains that they've been fighting these cultists in multiple cities up to this point, you know, in Renault Keep, Port Azureth, uh, Copperton, and that they're directed here to Caprick by Heronius to continue their hunt. And, you know, Poe, you know, of course he's, he's glad that someone's trying to fight these guys, but he doesn't really see a way that this is going to help him personally, you know, help him get out of his contract. As far as he's concerned, he's stuck with this. So Ty, being the uh, being the completely amoral teenager that he is, he casts a suggestion on Poe, which opens him right up to answering all their questions. Uh, you know, and they ask him, you know, about you know, the altars they've been finding, things like that. And Poe explains that they're built by the Masonry Guild, but as far as he knows, they're ignorant of what they're making. He suspects that someone within the Masonry Guild does know. And he also strongly suspects that at least one member of the city council is a demon in disguise. And that's why, you know, uh, one of the political bills that's being pushed through uh, is, is, is happening. Uh, with the spell over, Cecil and Moonstar promise Poe that they'll do whatever they can to break his contract with the demon. Poe appreciates it, but he doesn't really have much faith that anything's going to change. I mean, this has been his life for decades. And they go downstairs and they rejoin everybody else and drink the night away. Now, come morning, they head over to the Temple of Aronius because Cecil wants to talk to the clerics there about demonic contracts. You know, he, he really sympathizes with Poe. He really wants to help him out as best he can. And, you know, he wants to see what their options are. So they arrive at the, at, at the, at the temple, and Cecil tracks down that cleric that he'd spoken with earlier a few days before. And, you know, he takes him into a private room to speak because, you know, talking about demons and contracts, that, not exactly the stuff for polite company. Now, as soon as he uh, rounds the corner and disappears into one of the hallways, the rest of the party, well, they get themselves into some trouble. Uh, Cal, uh, d you know, notices that there's a boys' choir inside, and he decides to join them. You know, he loves the sound of music. He, you know, he loves singing, and you know, there, you know, a few raised eyebrows at the giant. He doesn't realize he's he's a giant, and they quickly realize that his singing is. Garbage. His singing is terrible. <laughs> uh, it doesn't take him, it doesn't take him to be very long, but to throw them all off. But the choir director very politely but firmly kicks him out and sends him back out, you know, to the front of the temple there to the steps. Now Ty and Merrick, meanwhile, have uh, discovered that they both have something very in common. That is a complete and utter lack of morals, and they so they decide to steal money from the donation box at the temple, at, at the church, or whatever the place is. Ty, ever so helpfully, casts Invisibility on Merrick, who promptly sneaks out about half a dozen pieces of gold and a couple dozen pieces of silver. Merrick then gets greedy and decides to pickpocket a rich-looking lady there, but completely botches it. She realizes someone's trying to, you know, steal her purse or uh, feel up a bit, and starts freaking out, making noise. Ty, who is not invisible, uh, tries calmly sneaking out, but one of the older clerics notices him and says, I don't recognize you. What, what are you doing here? And Ty, you know, he, he's not exactly good with words. And so he, he, he tries, uh, he, he tries uh, struggling and getting away, but doesn't. And so the cleric calls for, one, for the temple guards to come grab him, and then Ty finally gets the bright idea to catch invisibility, invisibility on himself and goes transparent. 
he managed to sneak past a pair of guards, and Merrick also manages to sneak out as well, even though he trips and falls and makes a bunch of noise and causes stuff to fall for no apparent reason to everybody else. But, you know, they are all they all manage to get outside without being seen because they're invisible. And, you know, outside, you know, you have Gesh, Moonstar, and Cal that are just kind of playing some cards, hanging out on the temple steps when they see the temple guards come out, you know, obviously looking for people, but not sure, but not finding anyone. Uh, <laughs> Cal, being the optimistic soul that he is, asks if they need him back in for the choir, but they tell him his services are not, not needed at this time. Uh, now back inside, Cecil and the cleric are talking about demonic contracts, and the, the cleric explains that there's basically only four ways that this can happen. Uh, one is to form a separate contract that replaces the original one. Uh, the second one is to destroy the demon altogether on its home turf, you know, going to a demon dimension and all that. The third is to cause the demon to breach the terms of the contract, which would render it null and void. Of course, that would require finding out, finding the contract first to find out what the terms are. And then, or fourth, find a divine beneficiary. You know, it could be another demon or a powerful celestial that could break it. Obviously, this doesn't really leave them in a much better position than when than before they came in, but Cecil appreciates the information and makes a nice donation and, and leaves. He finds everybody else out on on the steps there, just hanging out, and he's none the wiser for all their shenanigans. <laughs> so the party decides that you know they're gonna head down. They still have that job to find the uh, find, find the find the silkworms, and they go down into the tunnels, sewer tunnels, and and send Merrick on ahead to sneak around because he's a rogue and all. And they discover three three kind of demon creatures in there. And the party, again, not being the sharpest tools in the shed, all charge. And most of them find that their attacks aren't all that effective. I mean, they do some damage, but not nearly as much as they're used to. Fortunately, they're smart enough to bring along a, a holy warrior paladin, Cecil, because they're extra effective against demons. So they're able to kill all the demons without anybody in their party being killed this time, uh, with Cecil you know, being the dramatic one, lands a landing a final blow, screaming Heronius' name as he does so. Uh, the final kill count for this encounter was one kill for Cecil, one for Moonstar, and one for Cal. Gesh, unfortunately, just wasn't all that useful here. Uh, they do manage to find two of the silkworms nearby, and then after a few more hours of hunting, they find the other two. And they get back above ground, you know, return the worms to the silk guild, and Ty, you know, being the amoral teenager that he is, uh, persuades the guildmaster to give them a bonus for their trouble, and they get paid 2,000 gold pieces. Uh, to divvy do, do, things up evenly, they decide to put 200 of the gold pieces into the island castle fund, bringing it to about 4,400 gold pieces, and then they split the rest of it uh, six ways, so everyone gets paid 300 gold pieces. Now, naturally, because the party is not good at conserving spells or energy or what have you, they're all pretty worn out after fighting those those three demons. So they get back to the to the tavern to rest. Uh, Ty gets some raw meat and then uses magic hand and a bonfire um, out in the street to cook it. Moonstar joins them, even though they're both getting some uh, some strange looks. Uh, Cecil and Merrick get medieval burritos and sit down with Greffer, who's been who, as it turns out, has kind of had some trouble with the local minstrel guild. You know, Cecil, being the nice guy that he is, offers to talk with him, 
But Greffer comes closer and says that's fine. He, he whispers to Merrick that he actually forged some documents to get the local guild off his back. And Merrick, of course, you know, thinks that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, morality is not a big thing with this group. Uh, so Cal starts to regale Greffer with tales of his bravery beneath the city. And unfortunately, Cal, while great for many things, mostly being big and strong, uh, numbers are not his strength. It leads to a very entertaining conversation between the quick-witted Greffer and the somewhat slower Cal, uh, <laughs> where Cal doesn't quite realize what Greffer is uh, poking fun at him. And uh, <laughs> so while this is happening, Ty tries pocketing a, a rich customer, but fails because, you know, our sorcerer and our rogue both suck at stealing stuff from people, anyway, not from inanimate boxes. Uh, Cecil starts to suspect that their 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 new traveling companions uh, have some less than savory tendencies, and he actually confines Merrick that they ought to keep they ought to work on keeping him on the straight and narrow. Merrick, keeping as straight face as possible, absolutely agrees with uh, Cecil, and then excuses himself so they can go outside in the alley and talk with an informant about you know learning about the the best places to to burglarize that night. Uh, <laughs> So, meanwhile, Greffer tur finally turns to Cecil and asks what actually happened. Cecil gives him the actual truth, mentions, you know, how Ty and Moonstar just kind of hit around the corner for most of the fight. Uh, Ty, overhearing this, he uses his suggestion spell to uh, on, on Greffer to have him rewrite the song that he's been composing so far about their sewer adventures, and has him rewrite it so that Ty is leading the adventurers, who obeys every command because they're utter buffoons without him. And Gruffer, you know, coming under the effects of the spell, just stops talking and just starts writing furiously, you know, completely destroying everything they'd written before that, you know, was the actual truth. Now, outside, Merrick is talking with his, his informant, learning more about the wealthy elite of the city, the best places to rob. You know, he learns about Donovan Up Upbridge and Blaine, about the tariffs and a bunch of the city guilds in general and just kind of fleshing out a lot more of the information about the, the city there and the politics. Uh, so, party calls it a night, they rest up. Uh, the next morning, they have a powwow over breakfast, and they and what they determine is that they want to attend one of the open forums of the city council, so they can try to figure out which one is the is the demon that Poe suspects, because you know, Cecil, being a paladin, a holy warrior, he can use detect you know good and evil to identify which one's the evil one, because there's no such thing as a good demon. But the next next city council open forum isn't until tomorrow, so they have a whole day to, you know, to kill. And naturally, uh, they being a uh, party of mercenaries that want to get paid, they decide to go and kill some demons. Uh, so they end up going back underground, wandering around some more, and they end up discovering four more of those giant gorilla demon bats that killed Vachette just a couple days before. Now, what everyone so the way they line up is that Moonstar, Ty, and Merrick sneak up, and they manage to surprise attack the creatures. Um, you know, Ty hit and nukes them all with a fireball, which helps out. Definitely gives Moonstar, you know, some you know some more PTSD there because he is terrified of fireballs at this point. Uh, Merrick is you know hiding; he's practically invisible. Cecil runs forward, trying to join the fight. You know, they start ca uh, clashing with them. You know, magic gets thrown around. Uh, you know, a smaller demon appears in front of Cecil. 
that unfortunately only he can see. And so he's basically swinging in the air as far as everybody else is concerned. And they kind of wonder why they bothered bringing him if he's just going to be useless and all. But as as a, as the battle goes on, they kill the the demon gorilla bat that casts that spell, so that disappears. The other two demons had cast invisibility, but Cecil he's able to use detect good and evil to figure out where they are, and you know they're able to kill them. So by the end of the battle, um, the kill count now is one for Merrick, one for Cal, and two for Gash. I guess he's trying to make up for you know his poor performance last time. Now unfortunately at this point. Because they were just demons, there's no loot. You know, their bodies just kind of disappear into the ether. You know, they go back to their home dimension. And they don't leave anything behind for us to, to loot. We did get experience, though. Because that matters. Uh, fortunately, everybody's a bit smarter this time around about using their spell slots and everything. So they decide just to take a short rest in the sewer for about an hour before they continue their monster hunt. And that's it. That's everything that happened. Um, you know, obviously, I did not take great notes on all the politicking here. I really need to put together an org chart or something, uh, maybe a brief comic strip of some sort, or, or you know, an explainer video or something like that. Eh, something. But we'll figure it out. So anyway, looking forward to seeing all of you guys soon, and can't wait.